Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll read verses 6 through 14 and 17 through 20. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning with verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and continue verse 17, then you may say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And now for the New Testament reading, please turn to the book of Romans chapter 10. I'll be reading verses eight through 15. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall, they, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. May we now take a few moments to meditate upon the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, we pray now that you would speak to each one of us through your word what we need to hear this day. May we be drawn closer to you and be your effective servants to see your kingdom spread throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been involved in full-time Christian work for several decades. I will not say how many decades because I'm still in denial. But uh, 
Throughout many years, I've seen God move in some amazing ways. And uh, on August 23rd, when I'm to speak here next, uh, I'll be sharing with, with you some of the experiences which I've had throughout the years. But my purpose is that they may provide you with some insights for your own walk with God, that you may be more effective in serving Him. I'll just give you an example. Uh, one basic truth that I believe is start where you are. If God leads you to do something, do it. Don't say, well, I need to get more education, or I need to have a certain position in the church, or whatever it may be. If God lays on your heart to do something, then start doing it. I had the privilege of working with Dr. William Scott, missionary to India for 60 years, for quite a long time. And he told me that uh, when he and his wife Joyce went to India, there were several missionaries on the boat when they went over. And he said, after a couple of months, most of them left. They didn't make it because they thought they would become missionaries when they were in India. But Bill said, you're not a missionary when you go to India, you're a missionary when God calls you to be a missionary. And so he was born in Belfast, Ireland. And even as a young man, he was teaching the scriptures, leading people to Christ, doing what you think a missionary should do. He was doing that in Ireland before he ever left for India. And I look back in my own life, there was a fellow who came to my parents' home. Uh, my parents uh, didn't have an opportunity to really attend a church that taught the Bible. And this fellow worked in a laboratory where my dad made deliveries. And he offered to study the Bible in our home. And he, in those days, we didn't have uh, computers, so it was a film strip projector. And he came to our home. He actually came for 21 Friday nights. And we studied heaven, hell, angels, the second coming of Christ. He made the Bible come alive. Because of that experience, my parents became Christians. And I'll ever be dedicated to Bob Brown when he came because I can look forward to seeing them in heaven again because he came to our home. I was 16 years old when he did that. Two years later, I got a film strip Bible study and went down our road. There were four houses where the people never went to church. I got into three of them and did home Bible studies just like Bob Brown did with our home. Little did I know that God was actually preparing me at age 18 for what would come later in my life in India, where we would be training literally scores of church planters to go into homes that are non-Christian and begin studying the scriptures there, right where they are. That experience prepared me for what was to happen much later. But today, uh, we actually have four and a half months left in our gospel gleanings, our dollar a day project to reach the Eurekula and Mucherekula unreached people group in India. Um, I praise God for all the money that's coming in because of that, but in order to underwrite the three-year strategy to reach this unreached people group, we're going to need a little bit more to come in. So uh, Mark Custition is going to be back after the, uh, after the service uh, at a table. You can, some of you haven't picked up a purse yet and become involved in this. Um, you'll have the opportunity to do so. And I'll be mentioning a couple other things that, that we may do. But I want to ask the question this morning, 
why should we be motivated, why should we really be excited about reaching this unreached people group in the land of India? And I want to suggest five reasons. The first is, out of gratitude to God for being born in America instead of many other countries around the world where our lives would be so much different. Have you ever thought about the fact that you had absolutely nothing to do with where you were born? The last 10 years, I've written up descriptions of what life is like in over 130 unreached people groups in India. And the descriptions are amazingly similar and amazingly horrid. And we aren't, we aren't talking about people groups of 100 over in a corner. These are 60,000 to 100,000 people in each group, thousands of people that live this way. But I'd like you to take a minute and just imagine, instead of being born in the United States, let's say that we were born in one of these Yerushala, Mucharukula, tribal, unreached people groups in India. What would our lives be like? How would they really be different? Well, first of all, we would be considered untouchables. Now, untouchability is outlawed in India now, but that really doesn't mean anything out in the villages. And if you are an untouchable, you cannot mingle with higher caste people than you are. You can't drink water from the same well as higher caste. If you would dare to marry a higher caste person, you will be killed. And that's considered an honor killing. If we were born in one of those villages, we would live in a small hut. There'd be no running water, no toilets or bathrooms. It's easy for me to say this, but just imagine if you didn't have toilets available. Think what it'd be like. You'd use the open fields as bathrooms. You wouldn't bathe regularly. You'd be ignorant regarding basic health and personal hygiene. You'd drink polluted water from an open well or a river. And because of that, you'd suffer from various diseases. You would be extremely poor. Men work a whole day and are paid $3. Women work a whole day and are paid $2. And most children are not sent to school. You would worship stones or idols made of mud that are under trees. The fact is that you or I could have been born in one of these villages or among a number of other unreached people groups in India where living conditions would be similar. Instead, by the grace of God, we were born in one of the most affluent and blessed nations in the world. This statistic is a few years old, but the Pew Research Center said that 71% of the people in the world make $10 or less per day. The point is, we really have it made. We are blessed incredibly here. Don't buy what the social media is saying to you of how bad things are. They aren't. They are so much better here, in my opinion, than anywhere else in the world that we could possibly be. Do you know that in a recent year, $63 billion were spent on pets in America? James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And I believe being born in America at the time we were is one of the greatest blessings that, that, that God had given to us. So how should we respond? Well, Colossians 3.15 says, be thankful. And personally, I believe 
that every person in America should be in church on Sunday morning, if for no other reason than to just thank God that we're here. And it's kind of sad if you do the statistics, it's around 17% who are in church every Sunday morning. When Lane and I visited various places in India, we would have a spot where the shower was a bucket that you would pour over your head. Sometimes you would really like to have a toilet and there was none available anywhere. You know, just because of those experiences, when I get into a shower and turn it on and that good hot water comes on for as long as I want, I've never forgotten those times in India. I am thankful for all the blessings that we have. But I want to read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, a verse of scripture from the scripture reading this morning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Now, how do we forget God? Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you this day. As far as I'm concerned, one of the most important and greatest commands that we as believers have been given is Mark 16, 15, where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Who's going to tell others if we don't? That is a great commandment and one that we really need to uh, do. So I think one of the greatest reasons to be motivated to reach the unreached people group is out of being thankful for how, how blessed we are and not forgetting God by keeping his commandments, especially one like spreading the gospel. The second reason I believe we should be motivated to reach the unreached, and by the way, I'm sharing this with you because with our Gospel Gleanings program, the Dollar a Day Project, we have four and a half months left. So we've got a ways to go in this, and I thought maybe I would give you just a little encouragement along the way as to why what we are involved in is really so important. But the second reason I believe we should be motivated to reach the unreached and in this particular strategy in India, which, which I've been a part of for long, so long, I know it inside and out, is that the hard work is being done by others. All we have to do is make it happen by supplying the training and the materials. Suppose God said to you, I want you to be a literacy teacher in the first year of the strategy to reach this unreached people group and so you'll need to go into this village where there's filth, where there's disease, where there's danger, and teach those classes two hours a night, five nights a week for 10 months. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go there. These are really very difficult places in which to just be. And yet God has raised up an indigenous church in India that has a burden for the lost. They're willing to do the hard work. They're willing to go into dangerous and difficult places and make the necessary sacrifices. From my exposure to Indian Christians, all I can do is take my hat off to them when I recognize the dedication that they have compared to my own dedication or the dedication of many Christians in America. I want to give you an illustration of a, a Christian we've known in India. His name is John Selvaraj. He's one of our partners that we've worked with for many years. 
Uh, Lane and I have met him personally. We have been out to his Christian school. Uh, one night, we were after dark in this little grass hut where a brand new church had been started and new believers were there worshiping and we went in there in that dark. It's kind of eerie, I'll never, I'll never forget it. But it's kind of interesting. But John Selvaraj gave his testimony and actually John Niederhaus was in India with us and heard John give this testimony which I'm going to share with you now. He said, I was led by God to minister in Tindavadam in the state of Tamil Nadu in 1976. Now, Tindavadam had a population of about 200,000 people and 97% were Hindus. He said, when I first went to Tindavadam, he said, God led me there, so I was obedient. When I first went to Tindavadam, no one offered me hospitality. And in fact, he said, no one would even rent a room to me because I was a Christian. So he said, the first two months, I slept on the railway station with the gypsies. How would you like God to call you into a new ministry and say, by the way, the first two months, you don't have a bed? I can't help it but have incredible admiration for a person like that. And then he went on to say, I suffered a lot the first 10 years. <laughs> I don't want to suffer a day if I don't have to. I suffered a lot the first 10 years. He said, at times I had no food. I was beaten three times by the RSS. I was put in jail in Kudalur for preaching the gospel. But he said, after 10 years in 1986, I learned about Glad Tidings in the India Bible literature, how they trained Christians to be effective in evangelism and discipling. So he was one of the first to go through our church planting program. And now after 30 years, 35 years it is about now, after 35 years, he has trained 290 church planters to work under him, who've each started a church in four different districts in the state of Tamil Nadu. He has seen 8,000 baptized, and baptisms come slow in India because it can mean persecution. 8,000 baptized, and every year, there are 30,000 children who attend Vacation Bible School just from his ministry alone. That makes me excited to be a part of people like this who have such dedication to the Lord. I wanna get behind them, help them, pray for them. That's what you're doing by being a part of this Gospel Gleanings Dollar a Day program. A third reason I believe we should be motivated to reach the unreached in India is because as Christians, we're to be concerned for the poor. Ezekiel 16:49 says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And the vast majority of unreached people groups where we have ministry are also exceedingly poor. Usually over 80% are illiterate, but that keeps them in the cycle of, of poverty. Most of them earn about one to $2 a day and their basic needs are not met. Many are daily wage laborers, which means they go to the field every morning. If there's work that day, they get paid. If there's no work, they, get home and don't, they go home and don't get paid. 
Due to poverty, they lack a nutritious diet, and many have an alcohol problem, which contributes to their poverty. One of the unreached people groups where we had ministry is the Udgir tribals in the state of Maharashtra. When we started ministry here, these people really were up against it financially. Uh, men, most all the men were just daily wage laborers, which means no guaranteed salary. The women worked in construction sites carrying bricks and stones. They were paid about $1.50 a day for a whole day's worth of work. In our first year of our strategy to reach unreached people groups, we had Bible content literacy classes for 450 adults. The primers are full of Bible stories so they get the gospel. But as they practice their reading, they also learn about basic health, personal hygiene, how to eat nutritiously, family relationships, government programs for the poor. But they're also taught self-help skills so they can begin to get better income, begin to work themselves out of poverty. And these are, they're really taught some good financial skills. And I want you to know we're not giving these people something, we're teaching them how to work so that they can earn for themselves. So in this Udgir tribal group, we had 450 adults go through the literacy classes the first year. 32 set up tea stalls, 63 started vegetable fruit stands as a little business, 39 learned tailoring. Women in these groups are especially demeaned. 125 women started generating income. I love the fact that we are not only reaching these people with the gospel, but we are helping some of the poorest people in the world to help themselves. The fourth reason I believe we should be motivated to reach the unreached, and by the way, I don't know how you like this message, but I'm giving you five reasons. If you can't wait till it's over, we're now on number four. We're really getting there. If not, I hope you like this. Number four. We need to reach the unreached because they are lost. They're lost in this life. They're under the bondage of sin. They're slaves of the depraved or old nature. In 2 Timothy 2.26, the Apostle Paul says regarding those that oppose the gospel, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. In 2 Peter 2.19, the Apostle Peter says that false teachers promise freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a person is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And I see in these unreached people groups, they are slaves of depravity. There's a group we work with called the Katkari. In this group, men have two or three wives, women are abused, children drink alcohol. They're taught to drink alcohol from the time they're little. Girls are married at age 15 or 16, and illicit affairs are common. In many of these unreached people groups, we see slaves of depravity. There's child marriage. I won't begin to tell you the details of how horrid that is. Women are mistreated. Wives are beaten by drunk husbands. And black magic and witchcraft are practiced. Romans 1, 28 and 29 says, he gave them over 
to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. When I read how these people are living in these unreached people groups, you, if you were in my shoes, you would say, what are these people? Are they animals? To treat others like that and live like this? It's hard for us to imagine. Scripture says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And I'll tell you, when you have areas of India where generation after generation after generation after generation, the old depraved nature is in control. They just get worse and worse and worse, so you can't believe, you can't believe what it's like anymore. But when Christ is presented, when Christ comes into their lives, when the Holy Spirit becomes to dwell within them, John 8, 32 said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I think one of the greatest reasons for us to be excited about ladies being involved in reaching another unreached people, group in India is these people who are living in such depraved conditions are being set free. That's exciting. And then a final reason why I believe we should be motivated to reach the unreached is because eternal destinies are being changed. We've now had about 97 unreached people groups complete our three-year strategy. In three years, in each group, we frequently see 800 decisions for Christ, 150 baptized, and 1,000 people attending church. That means the unreached people group that we are targeting three years from now, by God's grace, could have a thousand new people worshiping because you took on this project. Now we need to be praying. COVID is really hitting India hard. And you talk about social distancing, it's very hard to do that when you have a land that has four times our population and is one third our size. When Indians come over here, some of our people we work with, we've asked them, well, how do you feel about America? What, what strikes you? You know what they say? Where are all the people? <laughs> India is people, people, people everywhere. So we need to be praying. Our, our start in the Sunreach People Group has been delayed because of COVID. But one thing I'm very happy to say to you, our partnership is with India Bible Literature, this group of believers raised up by Bill and Joyce Scott, all Indians. There are not a finer, more dedicated group of believers anywhere in India. If there's any way this ministry is going to happen, they will make it happen. And that says to me, let's keep moving forward. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. And Colossians 1.10 says we'll be fruitful in every good work. So in conclusion, I really think we should be motivated to reach the unreached out of gratitude to God for how good he's been to us, where we've been born. Because the hard work is being done by others. We're not being asked to personally go into these villages and live in all the filth and danger. We're commanded by scripture to help the poor. The unreached are really slaves of depravity and they need to be set free. And eternal destinies are being changed. 
It was about 10 years ago. I'm watching my time. John Niederhaus always looks at his watch and says five minutes or whatever. So I'm watching my time here, but I've got a couple more minutes. So I thought since, especially you're like my home church, I would give you a little background as to how our dollar a day project really came into being and our unreached people group strategy. About 10 years ago, Operation World did a study and they said of all the unreached people groups in the world with populations of 10,000 or more, all the people in the world who have never heard Jesus, the name of Jesus, 75% are found in one land, and that's India. So we put together a three-year strategy using ministries that we've been doing effectively for the past 25 years. Christians love to do things they don't know works. I love doing something that I know works. I like something that has a 25-year track record. And so we just put it together. So the first year we'd have literacy classes for 450 adults. And literacy is so basic to so many areas of life, health and finance and everything. And they'd get the gospel through the primers. Then the second year, church planners would start working. And then the third year, start to reach families with a vacation Bible school for 1,000 children. and adult literacy classes for 300 more adults because now you have churches started and people need to be able to read the Bible. So we put the strategy together and you can do things rather inexpensively in India. I mean, to take one person through the literacy class, two hours a night, five nights a week for 10 months, it's just $25. That is not much. But if you multiply that by 450 students for your first year of strategy, that's $11,250. So the whole three-year strategy gets to be a little more expensive if you want to underwrite the whole three years. So I've been calling on churches for all these years, and I was calling on a church out in Everett, Pennsylvania. That's off the Breezewood exit, if you want to know where it is. It's kind of a country, mountainous little town. And I called on this pastor, his name's Bob Robertson. And I was sitting in his office, and he told me that he was on the board of an orphanage in uh, Gettysburg. And he said they were gonna build a new building and every board member was exp expected to raise a significant amount of money. Now he said, in a lot of churches, there's always two or three people that have some money. But he said, our church has 135 people, 185. He said, we're in a little country, mountainous town. He said, there's not one person in our church that I could go to that could write out a significant check. So he said, I got this idea I would go to our adult Sunday school class and ask them to set aside a dollar a day every day for the next three years. And he said, it spread to the church. He's been there by 37 years. He said, spread the whole church. We raised thousands of dollars. Now you have to understand I'm a little slow. Two weeks later, I woke up in bed one morning and I thought, I wonder how many people would take putting aside just a dollar a day for one year. How many people would it take to do that for one year to underwrite the whole three years to reach an unreached people group in India? When I did the math, I was shocked. 88 people. That's like not that many. And I thought, a dollar a day? I mean, when I used to ride with my dad in his business, his treat to me was a York peppermint patty. You know the big rounds? They were a nickel. 
Lane and I were going through the grocery store the other day, you know, the candy at the registers. York peppermint patty, a dollar. A dollar for a piece of candy. I remember when Dad and I stopped in the gas station and we actually got a dollar's worth of gas. Dad died in 1999. If he came back to life and I took him to a gas station and we filled the tank with gas, I think he would die all over again. <laughs> I mean, a dollar, to, I mean, and just think about, you know, that many years ago, how many of us had cell phones? You know, we all have cell phones now. I wouldn't want to be without, I, I love having it. But we've got cell phone bills, we've got bills for our television, all kinds of stuff. I thought, a dollar is really not that much to reach an unreached people group, 88 people for one year. So we instituted that as a program. And I am really thrilled to tell you, it is really working. The other thing I like is we've got little churches now doing this. Do you know, if we have three little churches who each had 30 people who could put aside a dollar a day, those three combined could reach a whole unreached people group with the gospel. And then as I was putting this together, I thought, well, if we have people save a dollar a day, where are they going to put it? So Velu is the executive director of India Bible Literature, our partner in India. I've known him for almost 40 years. Great guy, just very seldom comes to America. But he was in America not too long ago. And uh, he came to visit Lane and me, and he said, I have gifts for you. I said, Velu, we don't want any gifts from you. We're just happy to see you. He says, no, no, no. I have a silk tie made from silkworms grown in India for you. And for your wife, I have a little silk purse. So he gave it, gave that to us. We said, thank you. All of a sudden I thought, Lane, where is that silk purse? I wonder if that would hold $30 that you could put this on your breakfast table and put a dollar in every day and at the end of each month, bring it into the church. I opened it up, it holds a dollar perfectly. It holds 30. So that's how we come our little purses. Some of you have taken them. If you haven't taken one yet for the last four and a half months, consider taking one. We need a bit more than it's already coming in to reach this Eurigula with a three-year project. And so I hope that you'll do that. One other thought was when, when I put the program together for the dollar a day, I actually, when I promoted in various churches, I said there's really four ways you can do a dollar a day. Now see, John Niederhouse, he does his own thing, as you may not know, but so he just said a dollar a day for everybody, and, and that's fine, because combined with anything else. But really, when, we present, when I present this program to most churches, I say there's four ways you can put a dollar into this purse. One is just put a dollar in. But the next thing, would you be sensitive to money that you normally spend, but don't? In other words, if you normally spend it, you wouldn't miss it because you wouldn't have it. But you don't spend it, so you have it, put it in your purse. What am I talking about? Well, for example, I took care of my mom and dad for the last 10 years of their life. They died at age 93. And we lived about 40 miles from Lancaster County. They loved to go to Bird and Hand restaurant. So we'd take a trip up there, you know, 40 miles one way, and they loved it. When Lane and I got married, where do you think we bought a house? Six miles from Bird and Hand restaurant. I love going to Bird and Hand restaurant. I'll say to Lane every now and then, you want to go to Bird and Rand restaurant tonight? Sometimes she'll say yes. Sometimes she'll say, oh, I already set out the meat. No, we don't go. Well, we would have gone if she had said yes. And Bird and Hand isn't expensive, but that'd be another $25, $28 for the two of us with tax and tip and everything. 
That'd be another whole month's worth you can get into your purse just by that. Or if you think, like Lane's oldest daughter lives in Lakehurst, New Jersey, and uh, we want to go see the grandkids, you'll see my detailed nature in this. We live 115 miles from Lakehurst, and we had to take the Pennsylvania Turnpike and the New Jersey Turnpike to get there. And if you calculate what that spends for a trip, it's at least $18. Now we'll make a plan to go, and all of a sudden the kids have a soccer game and we don't go. Well, we would have gone, we would have spent that money. Put that in your purse. All I'm saying, if you'd be thinking about money that you normally spend but don't and put that in, it really adds up. And then the last thing I always stress is unexpected income. Well, you're not going to miss it if you didn't expect it. Put it in your purse. Hey, the situation we're in right now, the stimulus money, we may get another one from the government. Wouldn't you love the United States government to help fund reaching the Agricola Unreached People Group in India with the gospel? Unexpected income. So those of you who have taken these purses already, consider those added dimensions, because we need to get a little more to underwrite the whole amount. And maybe some of you today will pick up a purse and do this for the last four and a half months. Mark Costigian will be in the North Exit to back and have some available to you. I just want you to know how much uh, I praise God for Ladies Church. We praise God for the, the people that are being reached in India because of you. And uh, I look forward to being with you uh, on August 23rd when I can share some personal stories of how I've seen God work in amazing ways throughout these recent number of years. Thank you very much.
Thank you, Bill, for that message and for the challenge.